Hi Mamas. Or Mamas to be. I'm Kayla. And I'm Tara. And welcome, welcome to, to Motherhood, Motherhood Leaked. Leaked. We're two first time mums leaking unfiltered tales of motherhood. Being there, getting there and possibly getting lost along the way. Let's, Let's chat. chat. May contain swearing. Hi everyone and welcome back to another episode of Motherhood Leaked. Hi Kayla. <laughs> <laughs> we have the giggles yeah. this morning. I feel like we're both in good... Good vibes good this morning. Spirits. Good spirits was the word I was looking for. Spirits. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Kayla's already mocking me from, you can't see her face, but the face she was <laughs> when I did my intro. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just got excited. I feel good this morning. I feel like I'm the best I've been in a little while, which has been good, which yeah. has been nice. Yeah. And what do you think's flicked the switch? Um, What's helped? Okay. So I think that, you know, when you're like getting a bit overwhelmed with life emotionally, mentally, and you know, you, I find for me like... I used to, before I had Elliot, I would go into full control mode, like just wherever I could control everything externally. But then having Elliot, obviously having children, it does teach you to pull back a bit. What's control? What is control? (laughs) So I feel like I pulled back and gave myself space, which was really good. Like didn't put pressure to cook dinner. We had takeaway when we needed to, you know, asked for help more, that kind of stuff, just eased up on myself. But then I found what was happening was like, I'd lost my spark a little bit. Like everything was feeling a bit out of control again. Like yeah. life was a bit chaotic, um, more so in my mind, I guess, <laughs> than externally. Everything was actually okay. But, you know, the washing was piling up and opening the fridge and like having to go to the groceries every other day was just frustrating me. And I yeah. was like, okay, let's go. So like Saturday last week, did my online shopping because I was like, I, I actually took a bit of a hiatus on that yeah. a while ago because there was that so phase. So you had always done online I'd shopping? I'd always done, okay. well, always is in like since becoming a mum. Yeah. And it was great, but I feel like we went through that phase a little while ago where groceries weren't as available. So I was ordering yes. things and things weren't arriving and it was annoying the hell out of me. Yeah. So took a hiatus from it, but then it was like, okay, I don't have the capacity to go to the grocery store and I want to get into a routine again. So I was like, great, let's do this. So I put the TV on for Elliot, sat beside him and did the groceries while he watched a movie. It was great. It was yeah. really good. I felt really <laughs> great. Got the groceries um, back Saturday afternoon, fridge is full been like intentionally getting up every morning and making my own breakfast which I wasn't even doing like I was making Elliot's but not making mine and just in some like bad habits not bad but just like out of routine so been making myself brekkie again um I know I saw you had like steak for breakfast the other morning so good not because I'm I know but I feel like I know but I also think the concept of that used to like steak for breakfast I'd be like oh too but this is where like for me, I always go inward and go with my body and what it needs. And yeah. like I used to be someone who could eat chia pudding for breakfast like yeah. every day or like porridge. But it honestly makes me want to gag every yeah. day when I make a failure. Oh <laughs> he loves it, but I'm not there. So I was like, no, what I, my body is craving is like protein and fat. So yeah. I've been having like steak and some avo so and yeah just doing that Brandon and like would die for that he would be like if i cooked him steak in the morning <laughs> jesus he might actually put a ring on my finger <laughs> <laughs> well tara let's get on to this um but yeah so just oh, like good. you know just in doing some more things like and to just get a bit of like little changes too isn't it funny like, little things discipline again a little bit of discipline with myself yep. a little bit of routine which has been really good and then that led into taking some time to really focus on my goals within my own work again so obviously doing the podcast like doing this is really great Um, and it's something that is a bit of light in my life. But then with my work, I guess I've talked about this before. I found the balance of like doing motherhood and working and running my own business as a juggling act. I think most mothers do, but um, setting myself some small goals and refocusing has made me just feel like I'm a bit myself again. So I feel really good. And I did say to Kat, like you look a bit lighter this morning. You breezed in on through the door. (laughs) Yes. Thank you. Well, yes, I feel good. How are you going this week? What's been happening? Good. We've had a good week. Um, yeah. No complaints here. Touch wood. <laughs> I don't want to moss anything. 
Um, but I want to mention something. We went to the post office the other day. It's my niece's birthday, so we're sending her down a present. And I was walking in with Bo, and I just had to bring this up because we talk so often about mum guilt and um, mm-hmm. things like that. And so I went into the post office. There was a mum behind me who had a boy um, who I thought was similar age to Bo in the pram. With He was on the phone or something. Um, and Bo was just running loose around the po- the post office. We were going to the shops and getting a trolley because Bo's obsessed with being the trolley, which is amazing. Yeah, it's great. Until we got there, though, it was hectic because I was trying yeah. to like juggle him and like oh, trying to wrap the, the present. Anyway, it was a nightmare. <laughs> uh, but we managed. And so we came out of the post office and the mum was right behind us and she was kind of walking behind with the pram and Bo just like kept looking over his shoulder thinking this pram was going to run over him or he was just super obsessed with it. Yeah. And I'm like, how about we just wait for the pram to go around us and then we'll keep walking because otherwise we're going to get nowhere. And then the mum's like, oh, how cute is he? How old is he? I'm like, oh, he's two. I'm like, how old's yours? And she's like, oh, he's about to turn two in a couple of weeks. So I'm like, oh, wow. I'm like, so, so, so close. Um, and then she's like, yeah, I'm being a bad mum today. Um, you know, he's in the, in the stroller with the, um, with the phone. And like, she had to say it. Yeah, she was already in that place of thinking you were judging her. Or yeah. people, or not even you, just yeah. people in society and judging her. I was her. like, you're not a bad mum. You're a no. good mum. I'm like, don't be silly. Like, whatever you need yeah. to do, don't, you didn't have to say anything to me. I'm like, you're a good mum. And then like, we just said goodbye. But yeah. it just stayed with me. And I'm like, she, like, I, I didn't do anything. I was talking to Bo, didn't like look at her in a certain way. But it's just that we carry this, you know, she was obviously worried about it. And I was like, just do what you got to do, mum. I'm yeah. like, relax. And I think it's so nice that you could give her that in the moment because she clearly would have needed it. Yeah. But I think what's happened is I feel like our generation of mothers has become so self-aware of like, not even self-aware, culturally aware yeah. of like the rights and wrongs that have been placed out there. You know, there was obviously like a generational shift where phones came about, yeah. iPhones particularly, children being on them all the time. Then there was more talk in society about you know, kids at restaurants with phones and judgment has been out there. So then naturally, of course, we internalize that as like, oh, I can't do this. But at times, like you said, you just got to do what you got to do. And that's like fair. Like some people don't do that. Like, you know, but some people do and that's fine. Like you don't need to explain your shit to anyone. You fully don't. But I can fully relate to that what you're saying of her, what she was thinking. Cause I even know for me, there's times where I'm like, Oh, I'd love to just give him the phone in the pram. But I I honestly, until you said this, I probably just wouldn't do it. Yeah. And I'd feel, I'd just go through the frustration or I'd, if I did, I would fully shame myself and feel guilty. Being yeah. like, I'm a bad mum, but you're right. Like we just got to do what we got to do sometimes, yeah. especially in a society where like dads are working, mums are often working too. Yeah. It doesn't even matter. Even if you're just a stay at home mum and you've had a really rough night, like, or yeah. even if you haven't, like, and you just need exactly. to do it. Yeah, just it do doesn't it. Matter. I'm like, I was just like, yeah. I don't even care. Like, love that. your deal is your deal, love. Like, let's yeah. do what you need to do to make yourself, yeah. like, life easier because exactly. life is freaking hard. Exactly. Like, There's enough hard in life. Oh my gosh. Do yeah, I do. love that. That's so it's great. Putting that out there. If you've got a phone in the pram, like whatever you feel whatever like, whatever it who is, cares? exactly, like, whatever it is. Just your like... kid needs a lollipop. Shut him up for five minutes. Do it. <laughs> <laughs> just don't give it to my child because he'll go crazy. <laughs> yes, seriously. No, but seriously, it's um. Yeah, so I just thought I'd bring that up and I love I that. Just, yeah. That's a good point. I carried it with me the way. I'm like, I said to Brent, I'm just, I can't believe she was just like so quick to judge herself. Like I wasn't yeah, judging her. I know. It, it was just this internal, you know, anyway. the internal thought process happening that often for most people happens on a subconscious level. So then you're just leaking energy basically that you could have for yourself you're like thinking about what other people are thinking of you all the time and speaking of leaking this week's episode we have (laughs) good segue i love that (laughs) lactation consultant shona castles yes i'm so excited so we are going to go through all things obviously breastfeeding um but feeding too so even if you're not a breastfeeding mum, um this will be of benefit as well and Um, she's got so much experience she's just a wealth of information so i'm excited like coming up to my you know second yeah i'm breastfeeding and we've got some great questions from our listeners um so stay tuned stay tuned let's jump in 
Shona Castles. Welcome, Shona, to the show. Thank you for having me. That's that was right. Good, that was a good quick save. She was just I know. I just get a water. good gulp. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So um, before we get started, I would just say make a mention that um, the reason one of the reasons why we have Shona here today is obviously because of your wealth of knowledge that you provide. But I actually met Shona in my own breastfeeding newborn journey and she was my like my little savior <laughs> my little I mean big I remember I walked into your office and with I think I had I don't know if I had Troy with me the first time but I do remember vividly the second time and like freaking out because Elliot wasn't asleep when he should be and you just like unraveling Elliot from the from <laughs> Troy's shoulder that. and like <laughs> sitting him on your knee and sitting him up and you were just like the breath of fresh air I needed at the time to yeah and he was myself. a lovely, bright little baby. Yeah, he, he was great. I was the problem. Yeah. <laughs> Not a problem. Yes. <laughs> so, yes, thanks for joining us today. Um, we've got lots to cover. Um, we asked in our questions box on yeah. all of our social medias for people to send in questions, and we got a lot. Oh, we got a lot. Um, <laughs> a lot. But, yeah, we might get started with just talking a bit about you first, Shona. So yeah, I'd love to. And because I do, obviously I, I yeah. know a lot about you through Kayla. Mm. Um, but, if, yeah, I'll give us a bit of an introduction, how you got into it, what you do. Oh. Sell yourself. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I'm Shona Castles and I'm what they call an IBCLC. So that's an international board certified lactation consultant. So that means I have an independent international qualification on breastfeeding. Okay. And, um, you know, various different healthcare professionals might end up as IBCLCs. You know, GPs and midwives can also have that qualification. But it's like the gold standard in terms of knowing about breastfeeding and and knowing how breastfeeding works. Yeah. Can I just ask, can someone say and advertise that they're a lactation consultant without that? So Yes, because anyone can say they're a lactation consultant, but if they don't Oh, really? Mm. Oh, wow. So if they do, but if they don't have the IBCLC letters after their name, then yep. they don't have the qualification that we would have. Yeah, yeah, so it's not like a regulated industry, really. Lactation consultant isn't a... Okay. Like, yeah, especially Like all the good word. ones, I think. All the good ones are never regulated, probably. <laughs> <laughs> but that is good for Maybe. people to know, like when they're researching and trying to mm. find a lactation consultant, mm. um, that that is something to look out for. And yeah. what does that mean that you have to do? So you have to have met certain standards of education and clinical hours before you can even sit the exam. Oh, wow. Um, so there's a certain, depending on which pathway you go through, there's thousands of hours of clinical work or hundreds of hours of clinical work um, supporting mums to do before you sit the exam, plus education, plus um, basically being able, you've completed health science subjects, or perhaps if you're a nurse, that would already qualify you yep. to sit the exam. Um, and then you have to um, sit the exam yeah, and, well. and that keeps you qualified for five years and then you have to recertify every five years as well with ongoing wow. education. So. I think I remember when I was coming to your mother's groups with Elliot when he was really young, um, you were going through some recertifying at the time. That would be back right. Then. Mm. Yeah, and you were saying yeah. how it was quite full on. Like mm. even for you, who, how long have you been doing this for? Um, so I first qualified in 2011. Yeah, wow. Yeah, so I've just redone my for the you know for my ten year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. And what um, drew you to wanting to become a qualified lactation consultant? Okay, so well, with my own children, especially my first, I really struggled with breastfeeding and I struggled with mothering. And one of the things that happened was that I ended up weaning my daughter, who's my first, um, before I intended to. Yeah. And that was devastating, and you still think about it. And then so when I had my son, which was a couple of years later, I decided to get a bit more information and get a bit more knowledge about breastfeeding before I went into it. So I did a refresher breastfeeding education class and I joined the Australian Breastfeeding Association Yeah. Um, because I was determined that to breastfeed for longer the second time around. 
And so when my son was young, I started going along to the Australian Breastfeeding Association local groups yep. where you can see a qualified breastfeeding counsellor. Um, and they were just such an endless source of support for me. So I must admit, I joined when I my I had a lactation consultant too, mm. and she I joined through oh, them, good. and I thought they were amazing. Yeah, that's right. So they give you that support and that knowledge. If you hit a speed bump along the way, they're 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 volunteers, but they're trained volunteers. And every time you know, as you say, you you come across something you're not coping with, you can chat to them and then move on forward. So that allowed me to breastfeed my son as long as I wanted to. And, yeah. Um, Anyway, I really enjoyed going along to the meetings and they kept asking me, how about, you know, you train to be a breastfeeding <laughs> I kept on saying no. <laughs> but eventually when my son was two, I decided to train as a volunteer breastfeeding counsellor with yeah. the Breastfeeding Association. And I still volunteer my time with them. Oh, do you? Yeah. So is that the, um, the, the phone um, hotline mm. you can call? Because I yeah. think I remember calling them as well as having you, but I would also call them as well. So And That's you can right. actually hire pumps. I hired a breast pump through them. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah, you pay a certain fee per week and you can hire a breast pump. It was amazing. That's right. Great. So they've got a great website. We run the National Breastfeeding Helpline. We get funding through the federal government for that. We run local groups um, for mums to go along to. Um, we also have a live chat as well. So that's a text counselling service that's on some evenings of the week that yeah. you can access as well. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I wanted to give back in the same way that those volunteer women had given to me. Yeah. And so then I kept on doing that. And then <laughs> I realised I was enjoying that work more than my paid work. What was, <laughs> do you mind? Yeah. What, yeah, was your paid, what did you do before? <laughs> so, um, my first degree was in land economics, which is planning and law. And I was oh, a valuation wow. surveyor. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's very different from where you are now. <laughs> yeah. And when I moved to Australia, I was working in property data analysis yeah. for, for a company that does that. Um, so, yeah, it, to cut a long story short, I basically upskilled, got yeah. all the extra skills to sit the exam to become an LC. And, um, yeah, I sat the exam in 2011. Yeah. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so that, your own journey inspired you to yeah, help other women absolutely. that's amazing yeah and I think it colors how I try and work with mums now as well yeah. so the counseling through the breastfeeding association is very much based on meeting mums where they're at and having that unconditional positive regard yeah and IBCLCs have to learn some of those counseling skills too but I, that's really very much my background and how I approach these things yes. I can vouch for personally how invaluable that was when I came to you and even is now sometimes we still talk and I'm like yeah. <laughs> but it is and I think that's something um that I will say for anyone who is out there looking for a lactation consultant that you personally do is that counseling side of it and mm. when I talked earlier about how you were my saving grace in that time it was a time when I had I was I think I saw you at three weeks postpartum and I was at that point on social media looking at wake windows and all the noise around baby sleep and mm. It wasn't, I actually didn't even really come to you for breastfeeding. I think it was more just for, for What's motherhood. What's wrong with my baby? <laughs> yeah, more for motherhood. And I did, I obviously mm. wanted to check in with feeding, but um, the noise for me was creating a lot of anxiety and you just totally met me where I was at and helped me get that breath of f fresh air to take a little step back from that. Mm. But mm. also not in the way of just being like, oh, you've got to do it this way. Like you were just really good at helping me see my strong points and helping me see how I envisioned being a mother and how I could make and create that reality my own. So mm. I think that's something that, um, yeah, not all lactation consultants may give. And I think it's definitely like anything, when you work with a professional, you're going to gel with certain people and not with that's others, right. but that's definitely a strength of yours is having the counseling background. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. And I think what we have to remember is that, um, 
you know, breastfeeding isn't probably the main thing I do in the work that I do. Mm. So yes, I'm troubleshooting problems that mums might be having, but there's a whole dyad there. There's a mum and there's a baby and that whole relationship. And it's not for a baby. It's not just about feeding. It's sleep Mm. and it's contact and it's stimulation and it's everything else. And we have to look at all of that. Mm. But, you know, um, so. when you just sorry, I was just laughing at myself because I remember uh, when you just said stimulation. So going back to my three week old baby, I was looking at wake windows and it was saying between 30 and 60 minutes. And right before the appointment that I had with you, I think it was my second one. I remember like walking through the door being like, I figured it out. He's he's this is why he's not <laughs> sleeping. I'm keeping him awake for too long. Like he's starting mm-hmm. to yawn at like. 15 minutes and he needs to be asleep by 30 minutes away can I think you just literally looked at me like you're looking at me now like okay okay <laughs> like not telling me I'm wrong but also like really but I had I was so needing like I was trying to grasp something, something. to give mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. something to make me go oh yeah you're doing it right but mm. um and I, we are looking for that mm. and especially as humans we're looking for patterns and things mm. babies don't follow set patterns and wake windows are actually not a thing okay wake windows are an observation of the average baby okay Mm. but your baby's not average your baby's unique Mm -hmm. yeah so when it comes to weight windows what we have to understand is that each human and each baby has a different need for sleep and how long they can stay awake and what we have to do is individually become experts in our own baby so yes we can look at you know average wake windows and things but your baby might not follow that and yes you can look at all the things that are on the internet that tell you your baby is tired (laughs) and the red eyebrows and everything else but that might not be your baby either (laughs) so you know watching your baby and getting to know their cues and understanding when they are tired that just takes time definitely and once you're in sync with them it becomes very easy oh so easy if you're trying to put down a baby at a set period of time and that's not when they're tired, mm. you're going to be there for a long time. Yeah. yeah. To sleep. Definitely. And I even <laughs> feel like even with Bo now, like, you know what it's like yourself. You get told, oh, you, it's time to go to sleep, but you're not tired. You sit there looking, thinking like all the things in the world, all these weird things that come up and <laughs> you just, you work yourself up and you get worse. And mm. I just feel mm-hmm. awful that sometimes that you're like, if I'm putting Bo down, I'm like, well, if he's not tired, I'm not going to force him to sleep mm. if he doesn't want to. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Kayla and I both had a lot of like sleep issues, like with the babies. It was just, and I just think it was them. They're not, they exactly. didn't need as much sleep as some other babies. Like you said, they're all unique. And I just mm. think I love that you said that because I kind of relied on wake windows a little bit when Bo was a baby. And like you said, it didn't fall into like, it didn't suit me. It helped me in a sense for my own mind and my control issues. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was still times where it's like, well, that's not working. So we need to kind of, you know, adapt Mm. it to him. That's right. That's right. And a better way to think about babies being awake is to think about sleep pressure. So Mm. sleep pressure is how tired you feel in any given moment. Yeah. Okay. So as an adult, generally we feel... um, like awake in the morning our sleep pressure is low even if we've been up half the night with a baby yeah <laughs> and generally we can get right through the day without our sleep pressure rising and making us feel like we need a nap yeah but sometimes you know that feeling you have after lunch where you're feeling tired mm. that's your sleep pressure building not your body clock it's your sleep pressure telling you you need a bit of a nap to take the edge off this so you can get through to bedtime and our babies are the same, except they need multiple naps through the day. So yeah. when they've just woken from a nap, their sleep pressure is low. And the longer they stay awake, the more their sleep pressure builds. But how quickly it builds is affected by them, yeah. how quickly they get tired and what you're doing. So the longer they stay awake, the more tired they are. 
And if you hit that sweet spot when they're tired mm-hmm. and you just realize that they need a sleep and everything falls into alignment, they go to sleep really easily. But if you misjudge it, <laughs> you could be there for a long time. So yeah. a good rule is that if you're trying to put your baby to sleep and you've been doing it for 10 or 15 minutes and it's not working, go do something else. Yeah. Okay, let their mm. sleep pressure build a bit more yeah. and then come back and try again. Okay. Yeah. So it's a bit like we would do like in the middle of the night. Like mm. I know, especially being pregnant now, kind of having that you know insomnia and i will just get up and walk around and do something like that and then go back to bed because i find if i lie there my Mm. brain ticks over i've just become more awake correct Mm -hmm. so it's nicer for me to get up Mm. and have a walk and be like okay go back to bed yeah 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 the the shifting my own mindset in early motherhood from the wake windows to sleep pressure Mm -hmm. was amazing for me because i i was i am someone who does like routine and control and all that kind of thing but i i did realize very quickly that i i didn't need to be that way and i there would be some mental freedom if i just went with his flow but i was also stuck in the noise at the time and when you explained the sleep pressure to me it just made so much sense mm-hmm. and yeah it did take some time to ease my mind from the noise that was already there and the chatter and thinking, oh, what if I do it wrong? And really, I think I remember coming to you and being quite anxious about having the overtired baby. Mm. And I put it in inverted commas yeah. because that's what all the noise is around. I was Correct. so scared of what if he becomes overtired and I can't settle him and all of these things. But when I let go and just tried mm. and just did exactly as you said, like, you know, if he, you think he looks tired, offer a feed. If he goes to sleep, great. If not, go and hang the washing out, go and do whatever. Mm. And it was like it just made life so much easier to the point where like Tara and I've both said before, our babies did not fit that norm. The wake windows, like you said, are the norm based on people's experiences. And for some kids, they fall banging on those. And that's great if you have one of those babies and it works, but for us, it didn't necessarily. Um, And then, so to be able to just live my life and go out and do the things I wanted to, and he would fall asleep when he was tired and I would let him sleep and he slept anywhere to the Mm. point where some days from a very young age before he was one, he wasn't napping some days, Mm. but I wasn't Mm. panicking because I was just following his lead and we were still just living life. And so that definitely Mm. for any mamas out there who are just stressing over sleep, check out. What was the is it possum's approach possum's that you told approach me about? Yeah, place to I start. never did the mm. I never did the um course, mm. but I remember reading their blog post and that was yep. really helpful because it talked to that. And also, what was the book? I always forget it. The book you recommended me. Do you remember the? There's the discontented little baby book by Dr. Pamela Douglas. Yeah. Oh, that was yeah. amazing for me. I remember reading that on my phone. Actually, I think I no, I did read it um on my phone when he used to breastfeed Elliot when he was really <laughs> young, and I found that to be really helpful too. Mm, that's okay. right, because there's two things to look at with baby's sleep. It's sleep pressure from one minute to the next. And then body clock, our circadian rhythm. Yeah. So the, our body clock is what keeps us in that 24-hour cycle. And it's the daylight that keeps that in, on, on, in sync with where we're at. Okay. But when babies are born, they don't have a body clock. <laughs> no, they don't. So they just feed around the clock. And it takes them about five or six weeks to start to develop a body clock. So we want to help encourage that body clock to develop. It will develop anyway. <laughs> but by, you know, what you can do is keep them in the daylight during the day. Yeah. You know, especially early morning, get them in the daylight and help set their body clock and keep the day busy and noisy and active and fill up their brains, lots of sensory, let them be awake. Yeah. And then at night, make it quiet and dark, go to them, respond to them, feed them, but try and just get them into this idea about day and night. I often talk to parents about do what you would do if you had jet lag. Yeah. Okay, if you have jet lag, you don't sleep all day. You yeah. get yourself up no matter what <laughs> and keep it. on going. Mm-hmm. And then at night you try and lie in the dark and hope that you sleep. Yeah. It takes you a few days, but you get there. <laughs> and if we do that with our babies in the first weeks of life, that's really the only thing we want to focus on is making that difference between day and night because then their biological systems will fall into line with that. 
And obviously, um, like you're talking to there within those early weeks, obviously breastfeeding Mm. plays into this. And it's like you said, there's multiple facets to all of this. (laughs) So in those early weeks, we might just lead in some of the questions. I don't even know if there's one about newborn in here, but I'm just going to ask. So we're focusing on really following their lead and helping set the circadian rhythm and differentiate day night. Mm -hmm. Is there something to do with um breastfeeding that is going well what's your take on those like early weeks of a newborn and Mm. breastfeeding yeah I think we have to have that understanding of how often babies need to feed Mm -hmm. and understand that we can feed them on cue some people call it on demand okay but feeding them on cue means reading them and trying to figure out what they need at any given time and then I think it helps mums to know what might be normal with that so we get a lot of mixed messaging about how often babies should feed but the reality is that eight feeds in 24 hours is the minimum Mm -hmm. and the average number of feeds is 10 or 11 so newborn babies feed every two or three hours but not necessarily evenly spaced Mm -hmm. and that's where we go with the feeding on cue yeah okay i still hear mums being told to feed their babies every three to four hours that's not enough Mm -hmm. it's not enough and you might end up in a situation where if you think that's what's going on but your baby's hungry at two hours you're trying to hold them out to the three hour or the four hour mark yeah we don't need to do that yeah we should feed them on cue yeah and i was just going to say that it it links my mind back to when you're looking at sleep training um like not even people who necessarily talk to that they are sleep trainers but they're talking about gentle sleep and all this kind of routine based ways Mm. it's like you're holding them out so that then they don't feed to sleep Mm. or you know Mm. i feel like it's that kind of gray icky area where it's like you're creating the problem almost by trying to have so much control sure that's right Mm. yeah yeah and you know any any woman who's had a new baby knows that when you feed a newborn baby they fall asleep (laughs) and then it actually makes a nonsense of this idea of never feeding them to sleep because it works and biology intended it to work so why would we try and battle that but equally sometimes even people who might be supporting mothers would be happy with you feeding a baby to sleep when they are newborn but then at some point they seem to change their mind and they go you can't do that anymore because you're going to set up a bad habit actually you're not (laughs) so you have to look very carefully at who's telling you what information as as you said what is the noise out Mm, there so feeding to sleep is normal even for older babies yeah um and we shouldn't be scared to feed them to sleep when they're little just because someone said but if you do it when they're one week old then you'll still be doing it when they're two years old yeah no we won't (laughs) well not by choice i mean i'll I'll interject and say i'm still doing that yeah but (laughs) i will say with my own experience now it actually, when I follow his lead and I also, something you've taught me as well is to go, you know, it's okay to meet your own needs mm-hmm. and, and have boundaries and all those kinds of things that they're getting older. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm still feeding him to sleep, but we're fully in the process of it's not happening all the time now. No, I've he, heard you've been away from him as well. He knows how to go to sleep exactly. by himself. He's fine. Like he's he surviving yeah, he and he's not fully dependent on it. No. Like, yes, he is at times, but mm. he, yeah, like you said, he knows other ways to fall asleep. And mm-hmm. again, it's just that noise. Yeah. Like, yeah. And young babies are fully dependent yeah. on us. That's what it makes we sense. have to remember. Yeah. Yeah. But what we also have to remember is that as they grow, we will find other ways to settle them to sleep. And equally, every time we feed them, they won't go to sleep because they're staying awake for longer. Mm. Yeah. So we really don't need to worry about feeding them to sleep in the beginning at all. And then later on, we can make any transitional changes we like at any point. Yeah. You know, so... Um, I just feel sad that in the early weeks and months, mums are scared to feed their babies to sleep and aren't going with a baby's natural biological rhythm. I hear of mums feeding babies and the baby's asleep and then they deliberately wake them up before they put them down because that's what they've been told to do. Mm -hmm. Now, wouldn't you 
you hate that if you've yeah. just fallen asleep and someone pokes you <laughs> and the drowsy but that leads into the drowsy but awake putting them down drowsy but awake like that to me literally drove me crazy because mm. it just felt so it actually felt on a biological level for me connected to this baby it actually felt wrong like mm. but i was also caught up in that noise of like this is what i'm doing i put him down mm. he literally would be like well, what are you doing like <laughs> That's right. I, my, my whole inside is like what am i doing i yeah. don't know yeah, yeah. but um yeah so what 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 i try and do is get people to shift their mindset a little bit and see when a baby is tired they will go to sleep provided they feel comfortable and safe mm-hmm. so if that baby is well fed they've got a big belly full of milk and they're feeling calm and relaxed they're not feeling like they've been abandoned or they're lonely or there's big noises happening then they will go to sleep but they need our support to create those conditions mm. so there's no point trying to put a baby down if they're hungry or if they're yep. wired or if they're crying because they're not going to go to sleep because they're not feeling comfortable and safe so it's our job to help them feel comfortable and safe and then if we lay those foundations down in the very early months then they become very relaxed about going to sleep Mm. and then after that we can start to change up how we do that okay so we don't always have to feed to sleep but feeding to sleep is one of the ways you can get them to sleep and you can use that for as long as you like until you feel like it's not something you don't want to Mm. you want to do anymore Mm. yeah and save your mental health (laughs) yeah well that's right so always think about it like that with your babies they will and with your toddlers too they will go to sleep if they're tired enough yep and are calm so they yeah. feel comfortable and safe and you'll find even with your own toddlers now sometimes as you say they're just not in the right zone for Mm-mm. sleep yeah but if you give them a bit more playtime, a bit more connection time a little yep. bit more wind down and maybe another story then they're then they're out like a light that's it okay so it's the same with our little babies too yeah just yeah. learning what their needs are as mm, well like mm. you said everyone's unique mm. and um, i know Bo. like sometimes he'll just yell out from the room water and he just wants one more sip of water and then he goes straight to sleep <laughs> it's just like his thing i think it's also a thing to get mum back in the room but yeah, <laughs> it works for right. us but, but toddlers don't have much say in many things in their life so if we can give those things to them yep. it mm. helps keep that you know safe relationship where they're not scared about stuff that's the thing pick your battles with yeah them. absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um i might ask um start asking yeah, a couple go. of the questions mm. that we got from some listeners um so and this can relate to me too i've got love friends who are at the same point as me um if you had milk supply issues with baby number one will it happen again with baby number two not necessarily yeah okay what's really important is if you had milk supply issues with your first it's really important to have a debrief with someone you trust and work through what happened the first time around yeah so whether it's your midwife or an ibclc Go through what happened, what were all the circumstances around the birth, the early feeding, yeah. um, your medical history and anything else that might have happened um, and see if you can get a plan together for the second time around. Okay. And so like you said, so it's good to book in with someone like yourself even before like yeah. you have. Yeah. Yep. I'm, I have quite a lot of mums who come and see me antenatally and often it's because the first time around breastfeeding didn't quite work the way they wanted to. So yep. what we'll do is review everything that happened before look at um, what the birth plan is for this time around and then we'll talk about what's normal with breastfeeding can we get a good plan in place this time around and we always work um, allowing for different eventualities so you know what happens if I get a Caesar or I'm separated from Mm. my baby and that how the how do I then get breastfeeding off to a good start and that's what I would provide a mum with to get through those first few days so there's a lot of perceived low supply issues with mums in the early yep. weeks. Um, and we need to differentiate between that and actually having low supply. Okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. One of the biggest things is knowing how often to feed your baby. Yep. So if we know that eight feeds is the minimum and we know that 10 or 11 is normal in 24 hours and then we feed our baby every couple of hours, 
then we're going to and, and feed them on their cues then we're going to give our breasts the best chance of making all the milk that our baby needs yeah yeah because mm-hmm. i remember you telling me um in the first and correct me if i'm wrong first six weeks it's it's frequency of feeding that helps with the milk correct. that's right production that's right so when you're pregnant your breasts are starting to change and make milk and many of us make some colostrum while we're actually pregnant mm-hmm. and um what we then have to do is after our baby is born is we have to start removing that milk so if we don't start removing milk from 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 our breasts and this the milk making cells in our breasts will actually die off mm-hmm. so if we don't get breastfeeding working in the first mm, unfortunately they say the, the first five to seven days mm. we might struggle with supply the whole time because some of the cells in our breasts will not be working optimally yeah so that f- frequent removal of milk is yep. what then sets up our supply as best as we can and do you recommend i know with my last um with bo i started um what's it called trying to get the colostrum out expressing yeah um, colostrum a couple like a week or two before i was due mm. um is that something you recommend can that help or is that just like for yourself really it can be a bit of a safety net and many mums who've had issues with um breastfeeding the first time around and maybe their first baby was supplemented with formula yeah. um might choose to express colostrum antenatally yeah um you can speak to your midwife or your obstetrician about that it's usually safe after 36 37 weeks yeah and having that little um, amount of colostrum because when you express colostrum some women will get decent amounts but Mm. most of the time we might only be getting a few milliliters yeah but having that ready to go after your baby is born might provide you with a peace of mind that there's something the baby could have and especially if you're at risk of separation from your baby for Mm. whatever reason i think um when you just said that like for peace of mind for me personally like that's why I did I I kind of never I've talked about it before I had a birth map so I navigated every possibility (laughs) um and funnily enough did end up down the road of Caesar um but I remember just in my mind I was doing it for that in case I had a Caesar in case we were Mm. separated like thankfully I wasn't separated at all from him but in case Mm. um it was just nice to know that it was there like as like to just yeah and we did use it for Bo in the end like Mm. we took some in because um I had to go get surgery so Mm. yeah Brenton actually it was worked out well that I had it Mm -hmm. um so I am glad I did it and I just it's funny that um I know there's a question on here which it's going to um, lead into is that someone says breastfeeding seems so scary and invasive. Um, how do you deal with it mentally? And I was a bit like that at first, like, oh, these are my boobs and I'm going to be feeding a baby out of them. And it was a bit like I get that question mm. to a point. Mm. Um, and so for me to do the expressing of the colostrum, I was surprised that I did it so naturally. And I was like, yeah, oh, like, it's amazing what's coming out. Look at this. And I like felt really proud of myself. Oh, I can actually attest to the same. I felt the same. It was like I was a little bit worried about like yeah my nipples being touched and bitten yeah. and all these things but yeah I remember this sense of accomplishment when I even got like half a mil mm-hmm. I was like yeah. oh my god my body's doing this like That's for right. my baby like it's like something went off in my brain yeah and the fear went away yeah. and then yeah I felt the same yeah. yeah and breastfeeding can feel quite invasive mostly because in our society our breasts are sexual objects yeah so we don't expose them to very many people yeah. we probably don't even know what our girlfriend's boobs look like yeah mm. so this thought of having a baby on there for some women is quite intense and mm. it might it, you know we always have to have that conversation with women if, if that's a feeling you've got already do we need to talk about that mm. and then do we need to just put some things in place to help you navigate that yeah um and you're right some women do find and one of the things i'll say to women is even if you're not going to pump colostrum is when you're pregnant 
get your boobs out yeah. and mm. have a look at them, mm. okay? And handle them and see what that feels like. And they mm. might be quite sensitive during pregnancy, yeah. Yeah. but we often don't do that either. We're not very good at looking after our breasts. Mm. We don't look at them very often. We yeah. don't handle them. And you are going to be doing a lot of that when you're breastfeeding. Yeah. So some women do find expressing antenatally helpful to get them to know their body and get yeah, used to them being definitely, handled definitely okay. that helped yeah. i was also in the background here laughing at myself because <laughs> when you talk about not looking at yourself you actually i know you personally i didn't mm-hmm. and little did i know until i started breastfeeding <laughs> that my nipples actually go out on an angle <laughs> like <laughs> they are not straight they point in different they point they, they point outwards yeah. like so just little things and that obviously that having that awareness once I realized and it was possibly you Shona that brought that to my attention (laughs) it actually helps you to know how to hold your baby and where Mm -hmm. you're holding Mm -hmm. it and like the tips you might read online even about breastfeeding you can apply it to your own body Mm. that's right that's right yeah because they're all unique Mm. and nearly every woman that comes in to see me will say well my breasts are a bit they're too small or they're too big or one of them looks like this and one of them looks (laughs) like that and I just go literally I've seen it all yeah (laughs) they're all unique so they're they're fine and they work yeah Yeah, that's it but knowing what your breasts are like you're right which way does my nipple point Mm -hmm. yes that might affect how I latch yeah what what size and shape are they Mm -hmm. they're they're all different yeah Yeah. I definitely felt because I was even in the after the shower the other night I was looking in in the mirror at my boobs and I was like wow I feel like this week they've they've grown like like mm. next level and then my nipples are getting bigger and I've already got quite big nipples <laughs> that's yeah. one thing I was told and yeah. but you learn like you know especially having a lactation consultant you learn different techniques to work with that because I know yep. some people are probably like oh my nipples are too big to fit in the baby's mouth but mm. no there are ways to work with that that's right that's right that's right because it's called breastfeeding as well it's got no, it's got nothing to do with nipple yep. to be honest yeah like the nipple is part of what goes in there but it's all about <laughs> getting your unique breast to fit in your unique baby's mouth yeah mm. okay and so although there are certain techniques and uh, that you can learn for breastfeeding beforehand and there are videos and things that you can watch sometimes we still need that individual care because because it's going to be different. Yeah. Every woman's breasts are different. Your body is different and your baby is different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. So back to the question about it being invasive and scary. Yeah. I think having those conversations beforehand is really helpful. And then thinking about, you might just be a really private person who never you mm. know, shows your breasts to anybody. Um, and you might want to just think about you know, what you're actually doing and how your body is designed to breastfeed a baby and how are you feeling about that and and discuss all of those feelings because there's lots of different ways around you know managing those feelings as yeah. well mm. yeah mm. yeah and you're right you don't see your friends you don't know what your breast fr- your, your breast friends <laughs> <laughs> your friend's breasts look like until you start breastfeeding and like a mother i think yeah. i've seen all my friend's breasts yeah, now seriously, like, all, like, oh, yeah i feel like it's just normal to sit in a mum's group and you just all you have know boobs out. Like, it's great <laughs> that's it um that's right. i was gonna say as well last week we had beck on the podcast um actually it came out today the yes. episode um that we're recording but she was saying she struggled herself um with breastfeeding and really it was something it was more so for her it sounded like the mental expectation that it was just going to be easy because it's not really talked about to Mm. prepare for. And then Mm. she was like, oh my God, like it's not working for me. And Mm. she's like, I'm seeing all these other mums just holding their newborns and out and walking and feeding. And Mm. um, yeah, I think it is nice to just have these conversations and Mm. speak to a lactation consultant midwife before you go into that. Because we just are all so focused when we're pregnant on the birth. That's and right. then you enter motherhood and you're like, oh my God, like, yeah. <laughs> birth was easy. Yeah, that's it. But also we are sold this story that breastfeeding is natural and mm, therefore yeah. that it'll just happen. Yes. No, sometimes it does. But it's natural, not like breathing. It's natural, like walking. 
it's yeah. natural but you have to learn, learn it. it and it's a learned thing and you can't really learn till you're on the job yeah so going into becoming a mum and trying to think beyond just the birth which is really hard to do with your first and, th- and get, getting some information about breastfeeding beforehand is really important so that you know roughly what to expect but then also knowing where to go for help if you do run into problems definitely yeah okay because if you don't have those options laid out then you, and you when you hit a, an issue with breastfeeding you need help immediately and, the, and if you can't get that help quickly then it all can become too hard really mm, really yeah. quickly and breastfeeding is intense but i mean parenting is intense in the first few weeks as well <laughs> sleep yep. deprivation managing mm. that managing like relationship changes like there's so much going on it's not like you said before it's not even just the breastfeeding that's mm. right um that's right and when we're breastfeeding as well we might feel but then you know then that you're the only one who can do the feeding and that is true mm. okay and what you have to also think about is what support can you get with everything else because even though our men might have useless nipples, <laughs> they can actually do everything else. And we need yep. to call in the support that we've got so that then, even though you are the only one doing actual feeding, can other people be helping you with the other jobs? So that yeah. it's not quite so I think actually someone yeah, said, that's a question on here. Mm-hmm. Um, I find breastfeeding to be a lot. How can I exclusively breastfeed and get a break? Mm-hmm. And I mean, that obviously leads into it because it's like, how do you manage that? Because it is a lot. It's like a full-time, it's a full-time it job. It is a full-time job in the start. Yeah, it's a full-time job in the start. You're right, because feeding is a very big part of what babies do and Mm. it's new and you're trying to learn it so your brain is struggling to to learn all of that and Mm. we have to sort of lean into that a bit but we can call in help for any other things that the baby needs to do so if we are doing all the feeding it does mean someone else can cuddle and settle afterwards someone else can do the nappy changes yeah and then we also have to trust the process to an extent knowing that yes those first few weeks are really intense but once you get through them, feeding is not the main thing you do anymore. Mm. It's all the other stuff. Yeah. And it's just as intense. <laughs> so we still have to think, how am I going to manage all of this? Yeah. You know, It's I hard th- because it's hard. It <laughs> is, yeah. And I think um, when you said about calling in for support, I know for me personally, and I would say probably most women, that is like a struggle when you first become a mum because, again, it's these expectations of what it's going to look like, what it's going to be like. And then of yourself, I know for me personally, I was like, well, I should be able to manage everything because I've always been able to. Correct. So why now do I need to ask for help? And it was really me learning how to navigate asking for help, That's like right. knowing that it was okay to ask my husband. Like he is more than willing. Most yep. men, I believe most men are actually wanting to help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was like, how can I help? And I was like, <laughs> well, you can't feed the baby, but still I have all this guilt about you cooking and cleaning. And, but really like it was the best thing. Probably didn't learn it quick enough first time around, but if I ever go again <laughs> and to anyone who is in it, just let them help. Like yeah. within, just enjoy that time when you're sitting on the couch, even if it's not necessarily highly enjoyable for you with the breastfeeding as you're learning, just be present in that moment and know that it's okay that like mm. you're, that's all you're doing. Cause mm. yeah, I found that a challenge in the beginning and actually didn't realize how much I wasn't asking for help mm. until I really suffered and just burnt out. So yeah. Yeah. so yeah. And I think you've hit the nail on the head there within our society. We are brought up to, leave home and be independent and have our own lives mm. maybe with a partner maybe by ourselves okay we very rarely live in multi-generational families anymore we may not even live in the same city as our as our parents so then when we become parents suddenly we have to ask for help again mm. having lived independent lives mm. that's hard yeah that's hard to ask for help but you do have to because you you're not you need ex- it. we you know our 
our whole species is not um, designed for just one person to raise a baby. It's that whole takes a village thing. Absolutely. If you can't have a village, then you at least need some help. Yeah, definitely. Because okay? it's, it's unrealistic to expect that you can do it all yourself. Yeah. Know. And that's yeah. Like, like I put my son into daycare for that reason because all my family's in Melbourne. I literally, you know, didn't have anybody. And even just finding mothers groups when support networks like that. Mm. Um, is amazing because like you said and then sometimes you don't even know you need a village until you have a baby and then you're like oh definitely oh, where's my village yeah. where's my village at 100 <laughs> percent. yeah mm. i can totally agree um a question that's jumping out of me at the page i mean we've talked a lot about getting breastfeeding going how to manage breastfeeding while we're doing it but someone's asked um they're looking for some tips on how to stop breastfeeding um i'm ready but bub still wants it morning and night and we haven't got an exact age just says 12 months plus okay now isn't that a tricky one that is when we are ready to stop okay and sometimes we're lucky with weaning that it just happens mutually that somehow along the way we start introducing food and maybe we get to close to the age of one and the feeds are dropping off and we're feeling comfortable about that and the baby's going at their own pace and then it all just happens and that's easy we can have the other way around where the baby decides they want to wean and we're not ready that can happen too mm, bit yeah. of a shock if that your baby be. decides not your toddler decides they don't want to do it anymore and you weren't quite sure got... about that yeah and then equally when we are ready and they're not what how do we navigate that what we have to remember is by the time they're over 12 months of age although early breastfeeding is really intense and we give over everything to our baby to feed them by the time they're 12 months of age it's a two-way relationship Mm -hmm. with two different people who have two different sets of needs and so therefore if you're ready to wean then you can go about that it's somewhat easier once you're past the age of 12 months because you don't have to substitute feeds with any other milk Mm -hmm. you don't have to give them toddler milk you don't have to give them cow's milk but what you do need to do is think how am i going to manage that feed time so yeah. for a baby that age, a feed is about more than just milk. It's about connection, closeness and cuddles. And mm. it's probably about calming as well. Okay, so how are you going to individually figure out how you provide that to your child without breastfeeding? Mm. And these are, the, these are the consultations I love doing with parents. <laughs> <laughs> this is one of my passions. Yeah. Um, especially when it's a mum who's struggled with breastfeeding in the beginning and then she comes back and goes, no, I'd like to wean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Again, we have to look at individually. What does breastfeeding look like for you? How often is your your child or your toddler or your baby breastfeeding? And which ones do you want to get rid of? Mm. And then we would work through what one would be the easiest to get rid of first. Okay, so... I suppose each mum would handle this differently, but maybe they're just feeding... If they're feeding just morning and night, I think that was the question. If the nighttime one is the one you hold on to that everybody enjoys, it's really useful for a wind down, then I'd be looking at trying to get rid of the morning one first. Mm-hmm. Okay. Often the morning one might be the one you do even before you get out of bed. So what one of the ways you could deal with that is by getting up before your baby and getting out of bed and mm-hmm. going straight to breakfast and just trying to like bypass the whole feed and distract them and maybe offer them their favourite breakfast. Yeah. Um, I had one family that wanted to get rid of the morning feed and they decided what they would do would be all get up and walk the dog so they used to pack a breakfast for the baby everybody got up mum and dad got a coffee on the way the dog was happy yeah and they just (laughs) kept skipping that morning feed until Mm. he wasn't asking anymore yeah okay so always tackle the ones you can distract or replace first and then move on to the next ones um i think the nighttime one can be tricky especially if it's close to bedtime Mm. so if it's part of your bedtime routine but the easiest way to deal with that and what the way that I work is through, um, so I don't do sleep training and I won't recommend sleep training, but I do do sleep coaching. Mm-hmm. So I do talk to parents about how you can make changes to how sleep is working for you. 
And when it comes to a nighttime routine that involves a feed of some sort, whether it's a breastfeed or a bottle feed, what we actually do is add more things into the nighttime routine before we take anything away. So if your baby or toddler is used to feeding to sleep at bedtime, then what you want to do is add in a few things into that little pattern. And it might look like a bath and then a snack and then teeth cleaning and a story and then a breastfeed and then bed. And you just add a few more things in and then you might move the breastfeed earlier in the sequence. So maybe you do the breastfeed, then the teeth cleaning, then the story, then bed. If you've got a partner, you might get them involved in the bedtime routine. Do it all together. So the breastfeed's still in there, but it's not the main thing anymore. And then eventually you drop it out and mm. maybe offer them a drink instead. You know, So yeah. there's loads of gentle ways to get those transitions happening when you're ready to wean if your baby's not. Yeah, yeah. definitely. That's great mm. advice. I think sometimes it is scary for yourself. Like even with, so after the 12 months, I was giving Bo, he would have a bottle still. Mm. But then mm. I was too scared. It was me. I was too scared to let go of the bottle. Mm. I'm like, mm. how is this going to, is he going to go to sleep? Like, mm. and, but a bit like you said, I didn't do it intentionally, but I mm. kind of um, brought everything back and then I'd sit him on the couch and I'd give him like a tiny bit of milk with a cup. That's and I'm like, right. we're having milk in a cup tonight. That's right. Um, mm-hmm. And so that's turned into a bit of thing. And sometimes he'll want it now, sometimes he won't. But I actually mm. found that transition a lot more easy. I was just putting a lot of pressure on myself mm, and I was like, right. oh, and like, it's, it is scary. It's like, I remember the last time I breastfed him at night. Like it's one yeah. of those things that you kind of like, you do hold on to a little bit, but um, yeah, it is possible. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It's always possible to make the changes. You've just got to do it in a way that's right for your baby with their age. So yeah. it's an age appropriate change yeah. and it's a supported change. So it's not mm. just pulling something away from them and saying they can't have it anymore. It's yeah. just making a different pattern. That's a much what, easier way to do it. Um, sorry, what age would you recommend? Someone did ask about the night weaning. Um, when is it okay? They said, when is it okay to start night mm. weaning? But is mm. there like a recommendation of an age or is it just like a, a natural thing for everyone? Different there isn't a recommended age but there's a lot of noise out there about when they should be able to go without feeds yeah but then we have to look or, or night feeds but then we actually have to look at the biology behind that so what we know from the research is that between um babies between the age of six and 12 months half of them are still waking in the night yeah okay so some of them are still having breastfeeds and some of them are still having bottles yeah okay also, up until the age of 12 months, milk, whether it's breast milk or formula, is still a part of their diet. Mm-hmm. Okay, So the idea is that we exclusively give breast milk or formula to six months and then we start introducing food. Yeah. And when we first introduce food, milk is still a really big part of their diet. And then as they slowly eat more and more food, they will drop down the amount of breast milk or formula that mm-hmm. they're having. So somewhere usually around the nine or 10 month mark, we start to see babies eating more food and then drinking less milk. So at that point, you can start to say, yeah, sure, they're probably less reliant on our milk, but milk still needs to be part of their diet to 12 months. Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> Do they need night feeds? That comes down to temperament as well. So if you happen to have a baby who was eating a lot of foods and was getting all of the breast milk or formula that they needed, and they were nine or 10 months old, and this was all happening in the day, then you could say, yeah, technically, they probably don't need milk at night, but are they still waking at night? And if so, what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so with an older baby, it's it's definitely a case, you know, babies 18 months, um, even 12 months and over, if they're waking the night for feeds, we sometimes find if we night wean them, then they sleep better, but not always. Yeah. Not okay. my baby. <laughs> <laughs> You're not my I neighbor. tried it to work. <laughs> so, you know, if we read online that, you know, babies from nine months don't need feeds. Mm. Okay. Hmm. Are you sure? Right. I, I, um they may still need feeds to get their milk intake. They yeah. may still need feeds to get back to sleep. 
okay and we have to keep on sort of reviewing that information as they get older and based on our own children as well so feeding through the night is normal yeah and waking through the night is normal even into the second year of life and some children don't properly sleep through 12 hours until the third year of life sorry ladies i'm (laughs) hanging on to that i'm fully surrendered to this no sleeping (laughs) we are getting better sleep i will say it has improved but yes go on (laughs) they all do sleep eventually yes my 21 year old son does not wake up in the night anymore (laughs) (laughs) or if he does you don't care it's not your problem yeah (laughs) so they all do sleep eventually so we've got to weigh all of that up if night waking is proving really hard for you i encourage you to reach out for help Mm. and then you can get the help that's right for your baby's age and where you're at Mm. okay so some babies will sleep through and sleep nine or ten hours at nine months of age and not really be needing the milk as such or needing any help with settling but that might just be that individual baby other babies are still waking in the night and Mm. they're still waking in the night in the second year of life and if you choose to feed them back to sleep fine mm. you know if you feed to choose to um do other things to get them back to sleep it's really what works for your family mm-hmm. you know how you're all managing you so know? really there is no right or wrong it really just comes down to like what your family where mm. they're at what your baby mm. where your baby's at and obviously yes it does come down to nutritionally what they need before 12 months too that's mm. right mm. that's right but i know that women get a lot of pressure to mm. st- from certain places saying you know at x age nine months is the one i commonly hear they don't need milk at night time yeah it's interesting isn't it because yeah i know for my personal journey again like elliot had quite bad allergies Mm. in that first year and so when we started and it all started when we started food so Mm. then he wasn't that typical baby who was eating a lot of food he was eating hardly any food Mm. so then therefore his he was feeding every three hours still overnight like and sometimes more because you were propping up his nutrition with the ongoing breastfeeding definitely and Mm -hmm. he needed that like Mm -hmm. and yeah i think for me obviously at that point in my journey i was struggling mentally with the allergies and the coping with all of that but it was just nice to have again you in the background reminding me that that was okay and that Mm. it wasn't me creating bad habits by continuing to feed him through the night because Mm. i knew that even just on a gut feeling level that he needed it because he wasn't eating food so of course he's still going to need the milk to grow yeah Mm. yeah and what i would say about night waking is Yes, babies do waken through the night, but if you feel like your baby is waking more than normal or it's impacting you in some way, reach out. Mm -hmm. Because there's often things that we can do to improve what a child or a baby is doing in relation to their sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. And that's where, again, if anyone is locally or do you do online consultations? You do phone mm. consultations, don't yeah, you? Yeah, I do online as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is, I would say, for if anyone is in that place where I can just attest to personally, Shona, being able to meet you where you're at. So if you are someone who's like, I need personally my sleep, like mm-hmm. you are, I have a good friend of mine who lives literally across the road and we are just different in the way that we do sleep for our babies because we can manage our sleep differently and you were able to fully meet her where she was at and she is feeling successful and like a great mother and the same for me my story is completely different but Mm. feeling just great where I'm at too so if anyone's in that place reach out to Shona (laughs) you'll get some sleep you will all get better sleep um should we just do a couple more questions before we wrap up what about um let's have a look there's a lot of questions that came in mm, um should you ask about the dummy one because yeah like that's actually that's a good one quite mm. a common thing um someone's written is it okay or what are your thoughts on using a dummy for a newborn like does it because i was a bit i didn't have a dummy straight away um, did I. in my head mm. i was scared same that like he would think that's feeding and it just, yeah. just it's this whole thing the noise again through. was there yeah mm. absolutely so what what's your take mm. your so there are some opinion? guidelines around dummy use and they come f- um through Um, the World Health Organization and how we promote exclusive breastfeeding. So the issue with um, dummies is that 
um, in order to get breastfeeding off to a really good start, a baby needs a lot of experience at breastfeeding. Okay, mm-hmm. and sucking on a breast is different from the sucking that we do on a dummy or a bottle. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's recommended that we try to avoid any what they call artificial teats, bottles or dummies, in the first six weeks or so of breastfeeding to okay. give the baby the best chance of imprinting properly on us and knowing what they're doing with breastfeeding. So it's yep. a different jaw action, it's a different sucking action. So if a baby doesn't get a lot of breastfeeding and gets a lot of sucking on bottles or dummies, they can get confused by it. Yeah. Okay. So when we want to use a dummy, okay, and it's an individual choice for each mum to make, mm-hmm. we've got to look at how often are we using it? How's my baby doing with breastfeeding? Mm-hmm. And are we using it, using it in a clever way? Yeah. Okay. So one of the risks with, you, with using a dummy, not just that it will interfere with their sucking reflex, but it also it, we might use a dummy when actually they needed a feed. Mm. Okay. So sometimes, I think I mentioned earlier, um, breastfeeds aren't evenly spaced. A yep. baby might genuinely be hungry an hour after you fed them. And if you pop a dummy in, you missed a chance to feed. Yeah. Okay. So we've got to be careful not to use a dummy too often or to use it when it's inappropriate to hold off a feed. Yeah. Okay. So it's about using it as little as possible. Um, and then only using it um, when you know that they've already had plenty of milk. Yeah. Okay. So babies do love sucking. It's calming. Mm. Okay. But we can't always be there. Okay. So if your baby is well fed and you're using a dummy for settling, maybe so that someone else can help settle them, yeah. or perhaps you're in the car and you don't want your baby crying in the yeah. car because that then it's a safety issue, really. Yeah. You want them to be calm in the car so you can drive without distractions. Yeah. So using a dummy, certainly under six weeks of age, with caution, knowing that um, you're making sure they're well-fed first and only using it when you need to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Does that make great. sense? Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. And I remember we had that conversation because um, I, with Elliot, he we were going well with breastfeeding, but we really used to struggle in the afternoons, um, basically from like about three weeks old till I think it stopped around nine or 10 weeks mm-hmm. and didn't think it was ever going to end, but it did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, in that afternoon, like cluster feeding, some afternoons would go so smoothly and I would just be able to sit on the couch and he'd just feed, sleep, feed, sleep for hours. And we would just, I'd watch TV. It was mm-hmm. great. It was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, other afternoons, he, it, he just he just couldn't latch and he was unsettled and you obviously had checked all my breastfeeding and I had nothing. It was behavioral. Mm. Looking back, I, I think my gut tells me it was actually due with his allergies. I think yep. he was, and I think we've had this conversation before, mm-hmm. Shona. We, um, right. Yeah, he was showing signs of an allergy, but we just didn't necessarily realize it or I didn't realize it at the time. Um, anyway, so I think it was around that like three week, three and a half weeks. I was really trying to push in my mind to be like, no, I'm just going to get to six weeks. Like I was a bit fearful of impacting on the feeding side, but mm tried the dummy in the afternoon and in that like period where I tried to feed him it was almost like too he was trying to suckle for comfort and the milk would come out and he'd lose his mind because mm-hmm. he didn't want the milk because he yeah. had a bellyache um but the dummy was great for us in that period of time where yeah. I could use it tactfully mm-hmm. um it was also great at periods of time in the car because Elliot hated the car mm-hmm. literally couldn't drive five minutes without <laughs> him that. screaming his head off um but interestingly enough, I remember thinking, oh, like I, it was all those fears, like of what if he gets it too attached? How am I going to yeah. get rid of it? What if I've got a five-year-old running around with a dummy? He was literally mm-hmm. three or weeks old. Sleeps with five dummies. <laughs> oh, but <laughs> it's interesting because it got to like around that nine weeks after those afternoons, you know, weren't as stressful. And I just remember one day we were walking um, along the beach. He was in the pram and Troy was trying to give him the dummy and he just started playing a game with it and throwing mm-hmm. it back at us or dropping it out of his mouth and laughing. And yep. that was the end of it. Yeah. So yeah, it worked tactfully at the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and it is. It's about being informed before you use it. It's your own choice after that. Yeah, you know? mm. definitely. Mm. 
Yeah. Is there any other questions you want to ask Tara? Because I think we might, if anything, maybe have to do a part two. Uh, I think we'll have to do a part two. Oh my yes, God. we've got so many more. <laughs> but so much information this episode. It's, yeah. If you'd like to come back, Shannon, we'd love to have you. We would. Yeah, that would be great. Um, but we do always like to wrap up with three questions that we ask all of our guests. <laughs> so first one, what is your favourite thing about motherhood? Yeah, I've been listening to the other other um, people's answers on these things. I think, I mean, I'm so much further into motherhood than you ladies now. My children are in their 20s. So mm. some of the things that um, I enjoyed when they were little, sometimes you can't quite remember them. It's, <laughs> it's all the same things, though. It's it's seeing how they become the adults that they are now. Yeah. Okay? It's watching them and going, I made that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's a good thing. Yeah. You know? So when cool. they become adults that actually, oh, yeah, I like hanging out with you. Yeah. And you probably, you know, you've probably done a good job. You know? <laughs> That's yeah. nice. Yeah. That's nice. Mm. That is nice mm-hmm. to hear. Yeah. <laughs> How old are you? So you, you've got two? Mm. My yep. daughter's 23 and my son's 21. Yeah. Mm, wow. Wow. And what is your least favorite thing about motherhood? I think the monotony of the housework that goes with it because yeah. I'm not a housewife type <laughs> person. So it was the that. endless washing and things. I think that wasn't much fun. Really. Yeah. We just I wasn't really someone for staying home and doing those things. So the monotony of that. Yeah, I think yeah, was that's the very relatable. I, think that, I was going to say, I think that's so relatable. <laughs> I can relate to that. <laughs> um, and what do you have? What's your best mum hack or your best piece of mum advice to get people through? Yeah, I don't think we had mum hacks when yeah. my kids were little. <laughs> but I was thinking about that though, because the hacks that you use change as they grow, and it's hard yep. to think back to what you did in the beginning. Um, but I was always looking for shortcuts yeah. <laughs> for the boring stuff. <laughs> One thing that did come to mind was, um, and something I recommend to mums now is um early dinner okay yep. so early dinner was my hack because I learned quite quickly when I had a like maybe a nine month old and then a sort of toddler if I left dinner till 5 30 and yep. then tried to get a bath and some playtime and a story and everything I felt like I was chasing my tail it was so stressful yeah if I made dinner at four o'clock and got all their dinner into them then and then they could just run wild for a bit even if they then came back to the table and had cheese and crackers or something later yeah it just made it easier because the majority of the food was already in them before yeah. they got too That's such a good idea so good I used idea. to have dinner really early my neighbors used to laugh at me like why are you getting <laughs> dinner at four o'clock literally it's easier I'm yep. actually I'm gonna report back I'm gonna try this because Elliot actually often gets hungry for a snack at that time and dependent upon whether he's with me or with Troy or sometimes my mother-in-law is looking after him and the snacks are a really great way to keep him distracted mm-hmm. but he then doesn't eat much dinner and it's this flow-on effect where he's really mm-hmm. unsettled mm-hmm. so I'm going to try it I'm going to try the dinner then because our dinner's yeah. always ready we generally cook dinner in the morning yeah. anyway mm-hmm. and it's good that. that you can give the snack like because my yeah, worry is feeding snack. bowl at yeah. four if I put him to bed at seven yeah but they just have a then snack then he would get hungry it. but like you said you, you can... call it supper that's yeah. what you call it a later snack so even when they started school because I was thinking about this last night when they started school and especially when it's their first year at school and they're so tired when they come home if as you said if you give them snacks and things then they eat a lot because mm, they're hungry yeah. but then they don't eat dinner whereas mm. if you give them their dinner at four o'clock then you're done yeah and then they can it. have cheese and crackers later or yeah, ice they've cream got the later food. or something yeah. you know, did you eat really dinner matter. with them at that time too i did i, yeah. say, <laughs> I reckon i would i'm always hungry that time of day i reckon yeah. i would too yeah. that's a great idea. okay we'll try that more <laughs> we'll <pull back> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. Thank oh, you. It's been, it's been fun. Where mm. should people reach you, reach out to you? I know you're going You're going on holidays for a few mm, weeks, I aren't am. you? Yes, I am. <laughs> Lucky, Off overseas. Yeah. How long are you gone for? Until mm, the beginning of July. Oh, so, yeah. beautiful. Jealous. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, so where could people reach you when you get back from holidays? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm, 
uh, there is a website i'm on instagram my facebook page has been around for a long time as well any yep. of them you can find me there perfect yeah. and we will add that yeah yep. details in the show notes absolutely thank you so much nice to meet you finally face to face thank you to meet you too thank you see you guys bye